0: And welcome to it. This is Orioles magic. As a couple of Orioles broadcasters relive some great moments in Orioles history, Brett Hollander along with Jeff Arnold. And we're starting this up, Jeff. There's nothing better than being at the start of something special, even in tough times. And that's exactly what we're doing right now uh, by creating this podcast to go down memory lane in some classic Orioles moments in history.
1: And there's certainly a lot of great ones to choose from, Brett, as I've looked into some of the, the previous you know great things that that happened in in Orioles' history and of course we're all more familiar with some of the recent successes that the team has had I'm excited to not only go back and relive some of those different memories but I'm also excited to get the opportunity to talk to some of the people that were involved in a bunch of those different things and get their perspective on some of those games as they were happening.
0: And we're going ha- to be able to go down memory lane on a lot of great and fun moments and uh, with some exciting guests and do it all and hopefully entertain you along the way. Uh, we will put this disclaimer out given the circumstances right now, technically speaking. Uh, we appreciate you bearing with us with uh, the video chat audio uh, but other than that, sit back, relax, and we appreciate you being with us at this time. And as we talk some baseball with you, which we love doing uh, all year long, uh, there's a lot of different ways, Jeff, to access us and, and make sure you are
1: fully connected to what we're doing. No doubt about it, Brett. You can go to Orioles.com/podcast. And then you can find each of these great episodes. You can go back and re-listen whenever you want to them. You can listen to them a couple of times. You always appreciate plenty of downloads. And to just relive some of these great moments whenever you've got some time during this quarantine.
0: We have a special guest coming up, well-known to fans throughout Birdland, Robert Andino. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, Jeff, the last time I saw you was in a, a much different circumstance. It was March 7th. We were in Port Charlotte and calling the Orioles and Rays on the radio.
1: And, buddy, I miss you. Buddy, I really miss you, too. And would you be surprised if I told you that I've actually gone back and listened to those broadcasts not once but twice as I kind of yearn for baseball? And, you know, don't get me wrong. It's fun to be able to watch these old games on YouTube and everything. But I was so excited for for doing some more games with you and for getting everything started on time. But for now, we just have to, to relive some of those – Wonderful memories of the the first baseball games that you and I have called together since all the way back in 2015 when you and I did a game in Frederick that was started by David Hess. That is true. I remember that
0: game well, calling that game in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, That was the
1: Keys and I believe the Potomac Nationals, right, Jeff? And the starter for them in that game was Ronaldo Lopez, now the Chicago White Sox.
0: And a hot shop prospect at the time, and I guess a guy with a lot of talent still. Uh
1: so by the way, you went back and you listened to those two broadcasts we did. Uh, how did we do? I thought we did really well. I mean, I thought the chemistry was there. I thought we had some great conversations. We really were able to hit on, I think, the minor leaguers in the Orioles system pretty effectively, and we had a little bit of fun too. I mean, we and we gave and we gave Kevin Reed a hard time, our producer. Engineer, you always have to, to, to do that. You got to make sure that your engineer is involved, and you're you're making sure it's fun with him. But I, I thought it got off to a great start. I'm certainly excited to to work with you and Kevin and Melanie and our great group of analysts uh, whenever we get going again. We will get going one day again, and we can't wait for that. It, since
0: then, for me, in my you know year long uh, year round craving for baseball, but in this time, it's obviously been very challenging and difficult. Uh, I have found myself. Watching old Orioles games on YouTube, uh, I often find you know they they put the Orioles 40th anniversary video on on YouTube. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be there or not, but it's awesome. I watch that all <laughs> the time growing up uh, as a VHS. That is still there. Also, um, I I I've gotten back into for probably the I don't know 500th time in my life Ken Burns baseball, uh, which is on Amazon Prime. I am still going through that in my my brief moments uh, away from. Uh, my children and, and as they are, you know, obviously very busy and trying to keep them active in this time. So uh, I've, I'm finding any way to get my baseball, filled. I even have, and this is much more up your alley, Jeff, some light reading here, the Keith Law book on the new stats of baseball.
1: Nice. i uh, catch you up on that. So I'll, I'll give this to you when when I'm done with it. Okay, Jeff? I'll tell you what, you give me that one and then I'll give you MVP Machine, which I just finished reading. And then Ben Lidberg, one of the the writers who wrote that book was telling me that uh, and probably, I think like a couple of days, uh, they're coming out with a new after that contains a lot of stuff about the Orioles. So, um, I can either loan you mine or you might want to just go pick that one up. Um either way, though, I will take uh, that book that you've you've got right there to, to, to research and, and look up some, some different things. I, I want to read Billy Ripken's book that he came out with that looks at some of the, the different things that are taking place in the game and explaining, you know, old baseball concepts and new baseball concepts. That looked like a really good read, so I think I'm going to check that one out. But uh, also, right, what, what I've been doing, too, is I've been reading up about some of the old Baltimore Orioles, some of the first Baltimore Orioles teams back in the 1950s and just – Hearing some of the different ways that things used to work where maybe if you had a, a bonus baby who, by the way, a you know, big time bonus then might have been around like $15,000 or something like that. And how you would get one of those players and they would have to stay on the major league team as opposed to going down to the minor leagues, which, which now pretty much never happens ever. Uh, so just reading back on some of those old great players and and even some some names that you know you've heard from other places like Don Larson for instance oh yeah he threw the first perfect game in the in the World Series well you might remember that he was a member of the Baltimore Orioles for a time so being yeah. able to research some of the early Orioles teams has been a lot of fun you're going to learn a lot about Paul
0: Richards the tall Texan who was one of the early architects uh, promoting pitching and defense of the Orioles and then Jeff If this thing goes on for too much longer, I highly recommend learning about the 1890 Orioles, which were a dynasty uh, back in their day. Uh, You'll learn about the likes of Wee Willie Keeler, the Baltimore Chop, Mm -hmm. John McGraw, before he became the uh, famous and infamous manager of the New York baseball giants. So uh, no, no shortage here of baseball history to learn in Baltimore, of course. And among the more interesting moments in Orioles history has to be, and you have to look at it from a broader scope, I think, the 2011 season, okay, it's the first full season of Buck Walter. To Orioles fans now, there are so many familiar names in that team. Matt Wieters was the highly-tied prospect. At this point, was in his third full big league season as a catcher. J.J. Hardy just came over as the shortstop. He had 30 home runs that year in one of the great trades in Orioles history. Uh, Adam Jones, of course, established in center field. Nick Marcakis established in right field. Chris Davis and, and Tommy Hunter came over at the trade deadline. And you were beginning to see perhaps what could be, but had not yet realized it and still in the midst of 14 years of losing. And they played a really good September against a lot of contending clubs. And at the end of the season, Jeff, they had to face the mighty Boston Red Sox. Now, this Red Sox team won the World Series in 07. You know, they had Pedroia, but they were really a, very much a, a purchase club. Uh, there's no other way to say, you know, guys like Carl Crawford came on. Now, they had John Lester and, and Jonathan Papelbon, a couple of homegrown guys. But uh, they, they were different than – those other Red Sox teams from 04 to 07. And, uh, and they were expected to not only go to the playoffs, but to win the World Series and be a contending club like that. But they found themselves in a dogfight, game 162. The season ended on a Wednesday night. The Yankees and Rays, I believe, were playing in St. Pete simultaneously. The Rays needed a win and a Boston loss. And these things were happening concurrently in one of the more dramatic end of the seasons in recent baseball history and the Orioles played this huge part of it. And we had on a very special guest coming up, uh, which we'll have in a moment, uh, to talk about this moment.
1: Yeah, and, and Isaac, go back and, and look at that. And I was looking up kind of where Boston was sitting going into the month of September. When they got to September 4th, they were nine games up on the Reds. Wow. Like, it is one. It is an a collapse wow. for the Red Sox of epic proportions. I mean, it's it's probably the worst collapse you know, that I remember in my lifetime for a team trying to get to the playoffs and then it ultimately doesn't happen. But it was also for the Orioles, I think, that initial juice which built the momentum going into the 2012 season where they went from 93 losses to 93 wins one year later. Like you said, they had all the different pieces that were there. And as you go back and read some of the stories about the game and look at some of the different highlights that that took place – uh, the Orioles battled until the very end. They had, they were down to their final out. They were down to their final strike with Nolan Reimold up at bat, and they found a way to do it, and it was Robert Andino that got them there. But you go back into the the momentum that they had at the very end of that game and how they stayed in it. They weren't playing for anything, and they had this huge rain delay that took place during the game. And the guy that had to fill a bunch of that rain delay coverage – was you. So what do you remember about that game and that, that rain delay that took so much time? It's weird, Jeff, because I remember, it
0: well, it, 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 that part of my life and career is actually a big deal to get rain delay coverage. And uh, you can imagine Joe Angel and Fred Manfred, two of my favorite people of all time, they go, after about, you know, it's clear this thing's not restarting in the near moment. We know the game has to restart. It's game 162. There's actually a big crowd at the ballpark. Uh, obviously a lot of Red Sox fans. And and, and man for an angel go, Hollander, it's your time. And uh, <laughs> I'm watching the Rays game happen simultaneously as that thing is getting more and more interesting by the moment. You know, obviously, last game of the season when you're not going to the playoffs is always kind of a bittersweet moment. People are, you know, their bags are packed. There's no other way to say it. Boxes are, are getting ready to ship out. So, you know, Joe and, and Fred say, Hollander, let's go. And at that moment, I've been through this many times before and, and since. And, I, you know, I, at that point, i got to find a way to fill and get guests. We can't take calls. And I think we had uh, Peter Schmuck on from the Baltimore Sun and Rakubako, our colleague at Masson, on uh, in those moments. And we got through about an hour and 20 minutes. And I, I, I remember getting home, and, and my wife definitely does not remember this. I think I wake her up at 2 o'clock in the morning whenever I got home from the ballpark. And, uh, and I said, uh, you're not going to believe what just happened at the ballpark. I mean, the Red Sox go down. And and they get out of the playoffs simultaneously. Evan Longoria walks it off in St. Pete. I don't think my wife cared at all about any of these things, considering that the Orioles were a you know a 69 win team. But it was such a bizarre night. It was the drama of sports personified, and it was so much fun. And, and Joe, you meant, you'll mention this to Robert Andino. Uh, Joe Angel said it in his radio call, which was a great highlight. And he said the Orioles are celebrating like they won the pennant. And, and that's exactly what it was. And I think that was the reaction of a lot of Baltimoreans, partly because of the drama of it. And to see the Red Sox and Boston sports fans go through a suffering moment, obviously, given the situation we've all watched over the last 20 years, it meant a lot to Baltimore fans. And then they, they did capture that moment, Jeff. They absolutely captured it and bottled it up. And they took it to Florida a few months later because a lot of the same guys, and, and it'll be very interesting to
1: hear what Robert Andino says about this moment, which he is the central figure of uh, coming up. And it wasn't just that game, remember, Brett, where Robert Andino was so good against the the Red Sox. He had owned them recently, and he contributed to a number of other losses by the Red Sox in that final month of the season where you lose 22 games if you're Boston, and you're just looking back at some of the different reasons why you didn't get there. Uh, Dustin Pedroia pointed it out after they lost that game. We had all these other opportunities – to win enough games to get into the playoffs. and As inconceivable as it might have been, being up nine games on September 4th, they couldn't get it done. But it was not just that game that brought about the curse of the Andino. It was a bunch of other games against the Red Sox that month as well, where he contributed to Orioles wins, Red Sox losses, and kind of carved out a little name for himself in Baltimore forever. And now it's time to welcome on a very special guest. He spent
0: parts of four seasons with the Baltimore Orioles and played in parts of 10 big league seasons, well-known for many big moments in Baltimore. Joining us right now is Robert Andino. Robert, it's great to see you.
2: Hey, man, how you doing?
0: I'm doing well. How are you guys and your family holding up right now?
2: Quarantine, figuring stuff out what to do. I guess that's all America right now. Trying to stay busy.
0: That is definitely true.
2: Uh, I want to start
0: with one of your biggest moments, perhaps your biggest moment in the big leagues, which, of course, is the final game, the final at-bat for the 2011 Baltimore Orioles, a walk-off winner. Let me just set the stage here. Two outs, nobody on against Jonathan Papelbon, who you actually bested just a few days prior. The Orioles have nothing, at least on the surface, to play for. They're going for a 69th win that year. The Red Sox are trying to get into the postseason. It's the last day of the regular season. There's an hour and 20-minute rain delay in Baltimore, and there's two outs and nobody on. Chris Davis doubles. Nolan Rimo doubles. The game is tied, and Robert Andino steps to the plate. Take us through that at bat.
2: Well, you know, it was uh, – well, for me, because I was still, you know, I was still trying to, you know, stay on the team as well. So, you know, we all had a job to do. I mean, you know, it's a long grind. 162. Even though he wasn't in the playoffs, you know, we still go out there and you know try to win. That's you know that's the name of the game. We we'll go out there to win. So you know, Pablo Bond. We all know Pat. You know, baseball world knows Pablo Bond, great closer. Um, I know. I just that month, I just saw his stuff real well. You know, it just uh, I know I had to stay aggressive with him. You know, I know he wasn't going to give in. You know, I just wanted to take a couple pitches just to settle on that moment because you know I, you know you know, Boston, Orioles in Camden. So it was, you know, and, and my dad was there actually to see that game. So, you know, I had to calm the emotions down. Al Buck always told me, you know, calm the emotions down. So, you know, Ty he just took a deep breath and just, you know, stayed in my zone and just pick a, you know, good pitch out and just swing, you know, just like, you know, everybody else and, you know, put a good swing on it. And I was just hoping Crawford, because I know Crawford covers a lot of ground and left. So I was just hoping he don't catch the ball. <laughs> so, you know. The whole time I was saying drop, 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 drop. And, you know, it was a – goes down It was probably one of the best games I played in for sure.
1: Now, Robert, prior to that A.B., Noah Rymel came up and he got two strikes against him. And Chris Davis, he had only one out to play with. So what was it like from the dugout and then from the on-deck circle watching those couple of A.B.s take place with two outs?
2: Well, I know – yeah, I know Reimel when he threw uh when – Chris Davis gonna, you know, he's the early hacker anyway. So by throwing him a first pitch, uh, first pitch fastball down there, he, you know, he just took advantage. He got in scoring position, and Rymo, obviously, he would, you know, he had a good year that year, and he's a really good fastball hitter. And once Pepperbaum blew two fastballs by him, I was like, he ain't gonna blow three. Do not throw that last fastball. And sure enough, he threw that fastball, and Rymo connected with, connected with a good one, and. You know, we again, that that team, you know, from that year, that year, I think it took the momentum, you know, having going to 12, 13, and 14, just that, you know, we could be up there too. We don't always have to be in last place because 09, 10, and 11, well, 09 and 10, we we're at the bottom <laughs> in the East. So it just, you know, took that momentum, like, you know, we could win too. To
0: that end, Robert, I was going to ask that. Was, is that momentum real? If you look at that roster at the end of 2011, a lot of the same guys showed up in Sarasota for spring training in 2012, and that team flips the script not only from the 2011 season to the 2012 season, winning 93 games, but ends that 14-year run of losing. But it's Davis, it's Hardy, it's Jones, it's Weeters, it's Andino – is that real? That momentum
2: from that game? Yeah, and you know, B-Raw was there too. You know, just B-Raw was dealing with the injuries, so he was he was a big, you know, big mentor in the Orioles clubhouse. A lot of people looked up to him. You know, you had you know cakes. You know, you had you had most of the, you know, the people basically Like you said, the whole team from eleven and then twelve. You know, going on that playoff run, and then after that, you know, Orioles kept going. You know, so I I definitely think you know just that year, that whole last month of September, the last September, we turned it on pretty well.
1: Was it just because you guys, I think I read an article where you talked about the end of that season, was it you took less pressure and it and the fact you maybe were a little bit more relaxed allowed for you to do what you guys did in
2: September of that year and then that was able to carry over to next year? Oh, absolutely, and Buck, basically, you know, he, you know, he let us be us, and at the same time, I think the team, Started gelling more together and bonding together and having that that chemistry as a team. Cause in 10, you know, basically that's where that team kind of folded together. And two I mean you had your B Robs, your Jones, and your Cakes there, but you know, you know, and Wheat just came up. He's getting familiar with the big leagues. Davis came around. So it just I guess everybody just bonded, just got along, man. Pretty good. It was really good. I had a fun, it was a fun team. Fun team.
0: And that twenty twelve group. It's almost – it did start a huge run of winning five consecutive years, three trips to the playoffs. But uh, that team, if you look at just to kind of make contributions over the course of the year, yeah, there were some legitimate all-stars, but guys like you, guys like Omar Cantania, guys who came up for a week or two and contributed, to me that's what I'll remember most about that team.
2: Oh, yeah, man. We had, uh, you know, like like I said, we just had – you know, you had the big names, the big boys in Baltimore, but the little – you know, the little guys filled in perfectly. You know, and I had to give it up to a lot. You know, obviously, Jones, me and Jones, still, we still talk to them. We got a good friendship. But B-Rod, B-Rod was a big big guy that helped me. And Torres was a big guy, another good guy that helped me out, too. They just both, you know, older guys. And they just, you know, guided me, I guess, to be a little, you know, better baseball player. And, you know, just different. I came from the Marlins, so it was weird. And then the Marlins, younger teams, it just it is a different atmosphere in the East and they just, you know, helped me gel into that. And like I said, the guys, the guys, everybody had each other's backs. You talked about the time that you had in 2011 with
1: the Orioles and then 2012, of course, where you flipped the script, like Brett talked about statistically, it looked like probably 2011 was, was maybe your, your best season. But as you kind of look at where 2011 and 2012 ranked for you over those parts of 10 seasons in the big leagues,
2: was that, is that the best of your big league time? That those two years in Baltimore? Oh, I, you know, I, I I think I think so. I mean, I know 2012 I got hurt for the first time ever, but I think 11 and 12 is probably when you know Buck you know let me play. So you know I got you know I got to show, you know what I could do. You know, it started on the defensive side because obviously that was always my biggest asset, in my defense. But you know, just learning with the big dogs, you know, just putting good at bats, quality at bats together, just and then Buck trusted me, he ended up trusting me, put me out there. And so I think he's, you know, my, those, those two years was the best, including, you know, only, you know, I went to the playoffs, you know, and that's something I could say. I know a lot of guys would never get to go to the playoffs. So, uh, you know, got the chance to play against the Yankees and stuff like that. You know, it doesn't come around all the time. So I think just Buck, you know, he, he trusted me, he put me out there. So I got the most chance to play in 11 and 12 for sure.
0: Do you remember how many hits, Robert, you had in the 2012 playoffs? You played every single game for the Orioles in the playoffs in 2012. Do you remember any hits you had?
2: I don't remember. I, I Honestly, I don't know how many hits, but I know I hit over 300. <laughs> you hit
0: 4 4-17, 5 for 12, and you scored two runs in that wild card game in Texas, in that
2: sudden death game. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was – that game – that game was – I'll never forget that game – Cause you Darvish started, I was like left. we had the left. He's the lefty. I'm like you Darvish nasty. So, but uh, no, that that game Saunders pitched a crazy game, man. Especially in Texas <laughs> with the ball. <laughs> but no, that game that game was crazy. That game was crazy.
1: Kind of revisiting back to you know the the time that you, you had that big hit. It spurned everything that happened in 2012. You go to five games in the AL division series that year. I'm curious, have you been back to Boston since? Because they they tend to hold grudges up there, and the curse of the Andino seems like it's very
2: much still a thing. Uh, Last time I was in Boston was, I want to say 2013 or 12. 13 was Seattle or 12. I got – they hit me in the head. I got hit in the head. (laughs) But, no, I don't know. – I'm not saying it was on purpose. I was just – but uh but yeah, I know I know I know they ain't like me, but hey man, you know, sports, I love it. I wouldn't trade nothing that's going there to play and compete against those big dogs, something special forever.
0: It's it's funny. Your quote after the fact in that twenty eleven walk-off was something to the effect of I'm just glad it was Boston and to watch them have to leave here with the tails between their legs. And and Orioles fans obviously really embraced you after that quote.
2: No, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in the heat of the moment, is you know, you going against that rival who, you know, what kid doesn't ever dream of playing against Boston or Yankees and walking off on Boston or Yankees to go to playoffs or end to end the season? It's like the last, you know, like like the buzzer shot. I'll take it, man. Yeah, what was that? What was that
1: celebration like afterwards? Because they they mob you on the field after the game was over. And I think Joe Angel, who is the the radio voice, of the Orioles, had that time, whereas it's like it seems like the Orioles have won the pennant based on how the result of the game factored in. But at the same time, all they really did was was knock out of the Red Sox. So what was that post game kind of feeling like? you'd accomplished something great. You'd finished off a great September, but in the end, it was you just knocked Boston out. What was that feeling like at the end of the end of the game and at the end of the season?
2: Well, because nobody thought. We were gonna beat Boston. Everybody, 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 the whole baseball world didn't think. I mean, probably except Baltimore and Baltimore. Everybody thought we were gonna to lose to Boston. And we we're losing most of the game. They had the upper hand. Leicester threw a hell of a game that day. So, you know, to come up top like that against the Boston Red Sox, you know? It's a big this is a big name. And against against those names, Papa Bond, your you know, your Leicester your poppy against those people that should have never lost 22 games to September. We knocked them out. <laughs> well, we, they did. They did it to themselves. I guess, you know, I guess we did what we had to do.
0: <laughs> Random question, Robert, the Orioles traded for you at the beginning of the 09 season. Do you remember the player, the Marlins got back in return for you?
2: It uh, was a pitcher.
0: I know that. Hayden Penn.
2: Hayden Penn. Hayden Penn. Hayden Penn. Yes. I remember that. I remember because no, I remember that because it was the last. I knew that year I was out of options, so they had to trade me or keep me. And we're playing Orioles in Fort Lauderdale, and I was in left field during BP. And Freddie, uh, Freddie, Fred, Freddie, Freddie, Rodriguez, Gonzalez. He's he was throwing BP, and he called me out, and I just switched dugouts. <laughs> in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> And I just switched dugouts, and uh, I, I think they had a, I think they had a, like a split squad game, and they had, I went to St. Lucie, but I just switched dugouts.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Robert, kind of asking you, like, what have you sort of been doing? Um, you know, since you know baseball wrapped up for you, how has life been going, and, and what have you been doing?
2: I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm a full time dad now. I got I got four kids. I got sixteen, fourteen. A seven and a one. I'm done. (laughs) 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 Um, I am done. Shop closed. But no, I had, I started a baseball academy. I got two 13 year old teams and a 10 year team. And I had a 12 uh, 12 year team. So basically four teams. And uh, I just train kids now. Uh, Hopefully in the future I could get a little indoor facility. But I just, in the daytime, I'm just dad. And then come around four o'clock, I just train kids. That's awesome. One day, one day, I wanna, I wanna get, I wanna get into pro coaching. But you know, I, I just finished my resume up. Maybe this year. Well, I don't know how it's gonna go this year. But I wanna send, you know, hopefully go into pro coaching, do that for a few years. Just coaching. This is all I know is baseball. So,
0: Robert, we're gonna get into this with every guest we have during this time. We're gonna call it our Fun Five Questions. First thing that comes to mind for these things: uh, What was the first pro baseball game of any kind you attended or went to?
2: My first pro baseball game I ever went to, I was uh, I want to say eleven or ten. I was in the RBI, the inner city RBI thing, and we won the championship. We won. That was my first uh, big league game. My second, my second big league game, I just when I signed, but that was my only big league game I ever went to when I was a kid. We won the RBI championship. Daryl Strawberry, Daryl Strawberry was playing right field, and somebody ran on the field. Wow. That was the first <laughs> That's a good memory. And they dragged him away. <laughs> well, Who's the most influential coach you ever had? Oh, top of my head, I mean, it's a it's, it's a handful, but top of my head, I'll you know I'll say Buck. You could tell he loved you. I mean, he he pretty much put your name in the lineup every day for two seasons. No, yeah, he uh, we had a lot of talks. He had a, and he, he trusted me. He did. He did. He trusted me to put me out there, and and um, I'm forever grateful. And, he, uh, he's up there. <laughs> and, uh, when Freddie was a manager in Marlins, Brandon High was like the hitting coordinator. Oh, that's right. That's a, yeah, that's right. In the Marlins. Cause I came up with the Marlins. So when Freddie, Freddie was my manager for seven, eight, seven, two years. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. So Brandon High, Brandon High was my first, uh, professional hitting coach. Oh, wow. Didn't know that. My first my first professional season, two thousand three. He was my first professional he's one of the coaches too that you know, like coaches that helped me out. He's one of them up there. Oh wow. How i used to get how i used to get on my ass. <laughs> like I like when I used to like show like signs of laziness, he'd he get on my ass. I just loved him for that. I respected him for that. So we we talked to him a bunch and he always Race. He cared. You know what I'm saying? He cared about the kids. He cared. He wasn't just a, just a coach that was planning out there just to be coaches. But, uh, he, uh, yeah, he got on my ass when he, when he had to, and he let me be me. So that's another thing I respected by him. Yeah, most of that coaching staff uh, coached me. Flores was my coach in Puerto Rico. Hernandez was my coach in Puerto Rico. Last year, uh, the first base coach, he was my manager in 2016 in, with the Marlins. Arnie. Arnie Bayland. What was your high school senior batting average? All I cared about was home run. All I cared was home run. All I cared about was home run. <laughs> I
0: was
2: over 400.
0: Over 400, I guess. Favorite minor league town you ever went to? That could mean ballpark, the town itself. Favorite minor league stop in all your years?
2: Oof, okay. 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 Um, I, want, I want to say, is it at a Round Rock or Charlotte? Probably Round Rock. Those are two good spots. Those are two really good places. I think Round Rock Round Rock, probably has it up top because I know my my kids went there when we played there and they had a blast. I had a blast. I think Round Rock's up. Charlotte's up there.
0: Last one. Your favorite uh, baseball movie of all time and why?
2: Favorite baseball movie has to be Sandlot. Great one. <laughs> <Has to go. laughs> As I, was, I, I don't want to think too much about Sandlot, Top of the Dome Sandlot. Why? is just shows like every, you know, those kids, you know, because that's where I grew up. Like, we grew up playing in the schoolyard. Let's go. And then whoever wanted to play, let's play. And there's, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be bickering back and forth. There's going to be sliding hard, you know, and then for that kid that grew up and they still made it to the big leagues and then, you know, friends still together, you know, it's that's those are real stories. So I, Sandlot, for sure.
0: There's the great Bambino, the great Hambino from Sandlot, and the great Andino. Awesome (laughs) stuff. Robert Andino, uh, hope you and your family are doing well in this time. We appreciate you so much for taking the time to join us.
2: Oh, no, man. No problem. Anytime. Awesome. Fantastic.
0: All right, that was a lot of fun with Robert Andino, talking about that big moment, his career. He's had an interesting arc to his career, Jeff, and, and someone like you who has seen the minor leagues play out in so many ways Uh, This is a guy who's played in, you know, 1,500 or so professional games. He's playing in different countries. He's played at every level of the minor leagues, uh, earned his 10 seasons in the big leagues. I mean, really earned it uh, in different parts, Uh, played around the field from every infield position basically to the outfield and just kind of found a way to hung around. He's one of those guys where you knew would find a way. I thought the most touching moment was when he was talking about Buck and what Buck meant to him. Yes.
1: And that was exactly what I was going to say, too, because he talked about how Buck trusted him to go out there every day and play. And while he battled injury in in 2012, and he said, I'd I'd never been hurt before. That was his first opportunity in the big leagues to feel like he could go out there, do his thing, and he didn't have to worry about proving himself. Because you want to be doing that as a player, but if that's your sole motivation every day you go out there, it becomes – an exercise that doesn't do you all that good and you don't perform at the level that you need to perform at. And with the faith that Buck had in him, as well as the fact that he was able to learn from great players like Brian Roberts, who we talked about, who is now a broadcast colleague of ours about the role that he played in his development, JJ Hardy, Matt Weeters, uh, Vlad Guerrero was on that team as well. All the different players that contributed to the Orioles' eventual success during that 2012 season, uh, just the fact that he was able to to hit on those couple of things, I think talked about how those two years were probably his favorites in the major leagues. And of course he had that incredible 2012 postseason. Yeah, he did a a bunch of base hits.
0: And again, that 2012 season, it wasn't just the Joneses and the Wheaters and the Hardys and guys like that. Chris Davis Uh, And, 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 you know, obviously what they got out of the bullpen that year, Jim Johnson and his 50-plus saves. But it was Robert Andino. It was Ryan Flaherty. It was guys like that who found a way to contribute in in small ways in different parts of the season uh, to keep this train moving, a bunch of close, nail-biting, one-run wins. It was so improbable, but it wasn't – you know, if you look at it in a vacuum, you say, what an improbable thing, but they kept it rolling for five seasons. So uh, it was totally – uh, legitimate and how and how uh, good they really were. They did have a lot of star players. Of course, Manny came up in August, and and uh, they won a ton of games, to say the least. So, uh, Jeff, how are you uh, getting through your days right now? How how are you making good
1: uh, on your time in quarantine? Well, I'm getting through my days by not driving my parents crazy. Um, I'm actually using my dad's den right now uh, to tape this. It's the first time I've gotten to spend any significant amount of time at home since I was in college. So it's about 10 years since, since that time. And so I've been spending a lot of time with them. Uh, we've been watching a number of old games. Uh, we watched uh, a couple of them a few weekends ago. And I, of course, was was tuned in for the Delman Young game, of course, on uh, on MLB Opening Day at home, and then we've been watching uh, all the different baseball movies that we enjoy, and the the, the the most recent one. And my brother-in-law loves this one. It's not a good movie, but it kind of just came up on the list. Was Major League Back to the Miners? Did you ever watch Major <laughs> League Back to the Miners? Never saw that one. Obviously.
0: You're, you not I, <laughs> you're, you're not missing much. You're not missing much. Major League. Major League 2, you had to see because Major League 1, Major League, the original is so good. And Major League 2 filmed in Baltimore and yes. filmed at Camden Yards. Uh, but uh, I did not actually ever see Major League back to the, Minor, back to the minors. Never saw Summer Catch. Did
1: I, Is that a good one? Summer Catch was a good one. In fact, a college friend of ours, Brian Kelly, who pitched for the Dickinson College Red Devils, would watch Summer Catch before every one of his starts. I don't know (laughs) if you knew that. (laughs) That's crazy. So watch Summer Catch. I watch Major League Back to the Miners. You can watch Summer Catch now.
0: (laughs) Listen, I'm looking for uplifting movies right now. Anything uh, that is better than what you're seeing every day in the news right now. Uh, How about uh, Trouble with the Curve? Have you seen that one?
1: I have seen Trouble with the Curve. I think that is a definitely underrated Baseball okay. movie. Very, very Jeff good Jeff Arnold movie.
0: bullish in all these baseball movies. Uh, but it's a great time to get back into it. I told you, I'm watching Ken Burns' baseball for like the 1,000th mm-hmm. time. Also, uh, you can get you know, HBO in their day, some of their great baseball docs, the one on Mickey Mantle, uh, the mm-hmm. one that uh, Ezra Edelman, who, who's a uh, world-class uh, filmmaker and uh, documentary uh, filmmaker, he did the Brooklyn Dodgers one close to Flatbush. If you have extra time, I cannot recommend those enough. I mean, you, you got to find ways to take your mind off what's going on out there. But I will tell you this right now, Jeff. This is the most peace and quiet I've had in about three weeks uh, with a five- and a three-year-old running around the house and uh, trying to keep them entertained and occupied and, and trying to you know keep the learning train going. This is by far uh, the most uh, peace and quiet I've had up in my office uh, for an extended period of time. And it's been enjoyable. It's been a delight.
1: Well, I was going to ask you this, uh, because you posted your, your daughter had her birthday um, recently, and you said on Instagram, generally fun to be with in a quarantine situation. So for you, my friend, what does that mean? Generally fun to be with in a quarantine situation? Is it quiet? Is it, is it some semblance of relaxation? What is, what is generally Good Fun to be with in a quarantine situation. My
0: three-year-old, Violet, she just turned three last weekend. Uh, She is a very happy, uh, curious, engaging uh, little girl, but she is wild. She despises (laughs) television. So if you thought, oh, I'll just put on uh, the Disney Plus channel and we'll, uh, you know, occupy her that way for an hour, that does not happen. So – uh, what she does love doing, and I tweeted this out, uh, uh, this PSA a few weeks ago. She, both my kids love singing, Take Me Up to the Ball Game. We did that wash your hands uh, recently. and uh, But generally, fun. Yes, uh, when you're not really able to leave your house, when you are relegated to your, your home at this stage, at this point in the world right now, uh, a three and a five year old mixing up 24 7, for whatever the length of this, uh, I would say the word generally. Good to be around in a quarantine, makes a whole lot of
1: sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to not drive my parents crazy. Uh, as, as I'm home with them, they are happy to have me around. But, you know, like I said, for the course of this podcast, which has been so much fun to do with you, and I'm really excited to do a bunch more of these, um, I have had to um, temporarily uh, annex an office uh, in in our home. So hopefully my dad doesn't get too frustrated with me over that. Well,
0: it's been a pleasure catching up with you, Jeff. We'll do this again very soon. Uh, we'll relive uh, more great Orioles moments and memories, and we'll continue to talk some baseball and hopefully entertain Orioles fans throughout this uh, podcast or whatever the kids are calling this nowadays. It was a lot of fun.
1: Absolutely, Brett. Looking forward to to doing a lot more of these.